That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast rewatching and dissecting Batman v Superman one minute at a time. Now we have arrived at minute 113. Lois Lane has been uh, involuntarily escorted to the top of Lescorp Tower for a clandestine meeting that is about to get real creepy. You ready to start? Let's go. Plane low in the morning. Lola in slacks. Lois Lane. If I had to call out one moment in the movie that actually needs just literal explanation, this is on the short list. As we both know, Lois exits the helicopter, the the bombastic music ceases, and in this incredible moment built up to Lex Luthor, this this incredible arch villain who has taken Lois Lane, Martha's been taken, who knows where she is. Lois arrives at the top of his massive tower in the middle of this, in the middle of Superman City, and he opens up by saying, plain low in the morning, lowland slacks, Lois Lane. For people who don't understand the reference being made here, I will explain that these are taken from the opening lines of Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita that opens with, she was low, plain low in the morning, standing four feet ten in one sock. She was Lola in slacks. She was Dolly at school. She was Dolores on the dotted line. But in my arms, she was always Lolita. Light of my life. Fire of my loins. My sin. My soul. Lolita. Lolita in this story is 12 years old. And the man speaking the lines, Humbert Humbert, is not. <laughs> Humbert Humbert is a, is a grown, mature man. I don't think we want to dig too deeply into it, certainly less deeply than, than Lex has. I prefer to probably uh, discuss the fact that Lo- <laughs> Lois Lane arrives to, to meet the villain and the best illusions that Lex has in thinking, how do I, how do I handle Lois Lane, I'm going to quote Lolita. I, I don't know. Do you think he was just forced? He was just like, I don't really have anything else to work with that includes the, you know, the syllable low. <laughs> or am I in, intentionally uh, for the the audience over her shoulder trying to be really unsettling and, and creepy as is kind of my brand at this point? I think it's a little bit of both. I think something that's interesting that I, I've not read Lolita, but in reading some analysis of it something interesting that that jumped out to me is is that humbert humbert the pen name of the point of view like the author is the the creep or the yes. or like the idea is that he's writing it <laughs> yeah and that he is obviously creepy and wicked and all that stuff but recognizes that about himself and doesn't so much reject it as as try to recontextualize it to make sense for ever for why he ended up that way or how it's okay for him to be that way or how everyone else is wrong and there there's a passage that's something like um his i'm the i'm your villain but someone made me this way 
I'm the villain because no one else will teach you the truth. You can count on me to always be telling the truth, but I'll tell it slant because that's how you know it's the truth. It tells you what's real, but not in the way you thought it would. And that kind of jumped out to me as, oh, that's okay. That's, that's, that's who this is. That's what he's doing right now. And, and, and openly and kind of enthusiastically so, right? I mean, it's, it's the, this, this playing with taboo obviously made the book like, uh, un- controversial before its release and then upon its release like one of the fastest and best-selling books ever because people needed to to see this this uh well taboo is, is probably the best word for it more than that without getting into like the criminality of it just the the we don't talk about this um there well the decision to not only tell the story like i don't know the story wouldn't it wouldn't be a a, a book that is has the reception that it has. Like, I feel like it would be more outright rejected if it weren't written from a point of view. If it were just, right, if it were just like a third person telling us the story, people would be like, why, why are you, why did you write this story? Like, the story itself isn't as interesting as the fact that it's through the perspective of the pedophile, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're talking about perspective. The opening ends with Humbert saying, you can always count on a murderer for a fancy prose style. Yes, I was going to call that one out too. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the jury, exhibit number one is what the seraphs, the misinformed, simple, noble-winged seraphs envied. Look at this tangle of thorns. <laughs> yes, I, are we to assume that like Lex is playing out the rest of this in his head? Uh, definitely. There's also the the kind of direct you know, analysis of, um, uh, the book about manipulation and, um, the, the view of Humbert of this other person, how he viewed her. There's just the fact that like you're saying in the very way that this story is constructed, it is about, uh, I was, <laughs> I was going to say gays or her last name is Hayes, literally. <laughs> uh, but, but just like this, the, this way of, it's more than othering. It's just looking at this person as more than just a person. Mm-hmm fictionally, but also, I mean, just realistically, like textually, that's, that's what is being done here. And I think that we've talked about Lex, that's how he sees people. It fits that he would make this like for anyone who doesn't know, or thinks that this is like overly creepy or kind of weirdly perverse, anyone who's read, well, this is the thing, right? The first pages of the book is when Lois steps out onto the roof and Lex says, Lola in the morning, plain low in slacks. Everybody would know, oh, <laughs> it would be the immediate reaction because you automatically place that of all of these references and allusions and turns of phrase he's using, he's gone to Lolita for this. And even if you remove the like sexual and erotic um, and romantic aspects from it, it still gets you into his character's headspace in this scene, I feel. Yeah, well, and I think what's also interesting about that too is that and my understanding of Lolita, but also clearly in the text of, or the subtext of, of BVS is we're dealing with power and power and coercion, power balances. And if he views himself in, in that role, then he is recognizing his sort of machinations on manipulating somebody else. And also the way it's portrayed in the book is as he frames it as if he is being seduced. Like it's something that somebody else, Yes, he is being like teased and, and encouraged. Like she is a temptress yes. and he is just unable to, to stop her or to, to, to suppress it. Like I said, very much kind of framing the narrative instead of saying, Oh, I'm not evil. 
he's saying, oh, this is maybe a thing that's inappropriate, but it's not my fault or not even necessarily my fault, but, but the, the questioning the, his role in sort of instituting it because he's very, this is very much a villain speech, but it's not a typical kind of monologue villain speech of here's my plan. It's, and, and we'll obviously get into this way more when we get into like when Superman gets up on the roof, but he's not a, a, I mean, he's very mustache twirling, but not in the sense where he's like, here's my evil plan. He, he's just recognizing that, that he is, has a, is manipulating people, but it's for what he believes is good or what he believes is true. I think going back to the, the quote about the truth has a slant from the, from the Lolita quote where he says, I am your villain, but someone made me this way. And it's sort of like, okay, if this is my role in the world, if I'm the villain, I'm going to be a villain that exposes the truth of the situation. And again, we'll get into that more later too, but his role isn't so much to be good or to fight his villainy. It's to use it to, to show people the truth, to expose the, the holes in the holy, right? That's getting ahead of ourselves, Stephen. Well, it's, I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a tease. I'm not... If he can tease what he's going to say in a few minutes, I can point out that it's a tease. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that, obviously. He, the idea of him saying, I'm not evil, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not psychotic, later on. But I do, I do really dig... Jesse Eisenberg. It's it's a shame in hindsight, right, that we realize, oh, Jesse Eisenberg and Amy Adams have this is kind of it. Yeah, that's the story. But but they collide in the way that I would expect their characters to, uh, which is he is he he is not wowed by her. He views her as just another sort of plaything. Reads wrong. It's just another piece on the chessboard, I think. But he is enjoying messing with her, probably because she is so outspoken and and strong-willed that his <laughs> his little, uh, the arm around her shoulder uh and she you know immediately pushes it off i don't think much about how uh we've said this before about different minutes of like where characters who don't collide that often do and then it's like oh right they're inhabiting the same world where lois looks at lex as just some weirdo in the same way that like i feel like bruce did mm-hmm. uh, this definitely matches but he basically just spends the remainder of this minute toying with her, <laughs> talking about like you know, oh, this is uh, the 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 metals of the tower that you know allow it to sway in the wind a little. She does not look shaken by any of this the way that he seems like he maybe thought in his head. Yeah. But well, and there's also an element of, and this this may be just be coincidence, but it's also interesting that of all the the many kind of applications or, or things about him saying, you know, playing low in the morning, Lola and slacks is that Clark is the only person to call her low, low as a, as a nickname. And so I don't know how, how heavy or symbolic it is so much as maybe a little bit of a inference of, Oh, I know so much more about everything than anybody even realizes if, you know, if he he knows who Clark is, he knows, you know who Lois is, and he he knows their their relationship and how Superman fits, and like he knows that Clark is Superman, and so there's presumably like, did he record, like was their house yeah. bugged or was he, you know, there's he he just knows things, and that's kind of a just taunting her with like, just so you know, I'm aware of all of this. Yeah, and and subtle enough. This is where we're gonna get into like praising the heck out of Cristerio. Subtle enough that we would be more clued into that than Lois might. Right. 
so creepy, so creepy. Uh, you know, this plays out with her. Lois basically gets her moment to say, it's so funny too, because this confrontation with Lex was presumably coming after she'd found out his plan, but he even preempts it by saying, you know, something about LexCorp medals. So even takes that away from her Yeah, that no, you didn't have, you didn't have this. I guess we can debate whether her finding it was intentional or not. Uh, this scene, I guess, kind of reopens that question, but, more importantly, Lex says, yeah, that doesn't really matter, though. Yeah. And then, then just taunts her with the horrors that she saw in the desert that he orchestrated. It's it's nothing to him. It was all just moves in the chess game that he's yeah. been playing. It'll blow away like sand in the desert. I think yeah. what's also interesting here as well with the talking about metals and the, the secret is light metals that sway in the wind is that in order to build skyscrapers that tall, they had to kind of develop a new sense of engineering. Cause if they used the strongest metals, like the stronger metals are also more brittle, which means that because of the wind and et cetera, they're more likely to break and fall over. And so here he is at the top of his tower that has his name at the top of it, stroking his ego, telling her about the genius of his plan. And the secret is in the light metals that sway in the wind. So he views himself as, as he knows how to bend and not break and that he, he, his plan was so brilliant because he had an understanding of, of how to kind of flex and, and, and work it. And so that's uh, that's a really kind of interesting parallel with the, the focus on the metals. But right before that, I like how he says, he's like, take a look. And that's when he puts his arm around her. And then that's when the camera pans around. And I believe yeah. I went back and I didn't scrub every single individual frame but you can see like a blue light glowing on the edge of the frame at times. And when he says, take a look, that's when the camera finally pans around. And that's where we see the bat signal for the first time. We've seen it when he was up here by himself, but now when he, he brings her around, he says, take a look. That's when it reveals the city and the bat signal. And so it's very much the, the multiple elements of his plan. He's showing her the chessboard, literally. I mean, yeah. he's like, hey, look, there's the, there's the, uh, the, I don't know what, what, what is Batman? The, the the night <laughs> um but but that's what he's, he's like look at all the pieces i've set up here i've got you i've got that piece over there and now all that's waiting is to flip the switch we shouldn't go past the moment that i know a lot of people particularly love which is when lex says lois lane he has the once again the fists on the hips i know we yeah. talked about this before him taking his little superman stance really feeling it Really yeah. feeling where he is that this is coming together. Um, I I like what you're saying about the the lightness is like opposite Batman, mm -hmm. who is I mean obviously his entire character is sort of has a brutalist aesthetic to it. Um, he lives in a home of concrete and and metal versus versus Lex. Well, but, and also versus Superman. Like unlike Batman, he has the flexibility to sway in the wind, but like Superman, he has the 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 strength to build himself up this high. So he's like sees himself as the having what each of them are lacking he put himself above everything else oh wow that's himself above all yeah that's well, uh, everything oof. yeah it should come should come back to that when it, it is worth <laughs> calling out as you're saying when he sees that bad signal we get like our a really clean view over the harbor end of the city and once again i don't think we brought it up but we see the iconically named island in the harbor which the entirety of Justice League's early plot is going to center around as well. 
Yeah. Also, this movie. I know we were talking a lot about cinematography these past few scenes also, but he's revealing the chessboard and the grand significance of how high they are and the, the, the pieces all aligned on the board below them. But also with the soft focus, you just get all of these soft lights, everything like the whole chessboard kind of fades away to the moment on the roof, even though that's he's highlighting that. But when it comes back to them, it's it it retains that present personal focus. Yeah, surrounded by candles almost. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Good. Good call. It's calling out. Also, when I picture my favorite moments of Batman v Superman, um, it is this coloring. Well, and that's really cool for you to point out that the candles on that too. Um, I'm going to talk about lenses, sorry, but um, <laughs> that you're not going to get that shape with every single lens. So, so when you have the 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 shallow depth of field like that, the the shape of the aperture is going to like like if you see a lot of times like you'll have like an oct- octagonal shaped bokeh on the on the lights. That's because of the aperture in the in the camera. And so this is likely being shot anamorphic, and that's why you get the the oblong shape distortion. There. Yeah, it's it's but shot the wide that, but then squeezed in. Yeah, and so then the fact that it's it's vertical, just the, the the yeah, like they look like little candle flames, which makes feels very like almost like she, like in another version of this movie, she goes into his office and there's he like they're surrounded by candles well, they or look something. Like it's, they're being lit, uh, they're underlit by candles. Yeah. I don't even know what this light is supposed to be. That is. Well, the yeah. I mean, the, there's lights on the, cause they're on the landing pad. And so the lights are to signal to what's above. Beautifully warm. Yeah. Yeah. This is incredibly lit. Uh, it, it definitely go to Les Corb helipad. If you need to take some pics for the gram, uh, because this is just incredibly, incredibly well lit. As you're saying, she calls out the scene in Africa. We're brought right back to where her entire story has kind of taken her, taken her to here, regardless well, of wh- who made the trip, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why when we talk about the, like the ultimate cut versus the, the theatrical cut and the significance of that Africa stuff and why that was so, so important that that there was so much more of that is that when we get to this moment, that's where that all matters. Cause that's literally what this is the sort of conclusion of that portion of the, of the arc is what brought her here and, and their entire plot back and forth. And so both of them lost a major chunk of their motivations and plot by, by not having that in there. And you kind of see how, how much richer and, and more complex both of their, their character and structural arcs are. Yeah. Lois famously says that he's psychotic to which Lex replies that psychotic is just a three-syllable word for anyone too big for little minds. Uh, that fits with his character. I, I feel like this was a, a line that landed with a ton of punch, but now that we've dissected him, it's like, yeah, of course. I mean, he's he's just being clear here. Yeah, people love that one because it's just kind of a quotable one. But one I feel touching like, her oh, forehead. Yeah. Yeah. But given all of the other things going on, it's kind of the most simple almost meaningless ones. That's just him kind of gloating not him, you know, waxing poetic or, yeah. or making literary allusions or anything like that. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> he utters next category, uh, circles, <laughs> uh, round and round, round and round they go to find Superman. I feel like this is him now just doing what he was doing, getting into his own head. But I do want to call out, that he says round and round to find Superman um, 
wrong category boy. Yeah. Triangles. Uh, we don't get many allusions to Lex's childhood or upbringing or his re- relationship with his father, but his choice of, of shouting wrong category boy uh, is, is just a it's, – it's once again raising the specter of, you know, he's doing his plan, but like his father is still – the idea of him as being uh, – he's a monster, but someone made him this way uh, is, is hovering in the background. Yeah. Uh, but we don't get into it too deeply here. And I would like to say that there is some massive narrative secret to unlock in the Euclid's <laughs> triangle inequality, which determines that the shortest distance between two points is a straight path. But I think that like much of the writing do with Lex now, it is a showcase for Chris Terrio doing double talk and double entendre and um, just really enjoying wordplay, showing that Lex almost has two or three different trains of thought going at once. Yeah. Well, and also the juxtaposition of circles against triangles, I think is really fascinating because the the implication of, and especially even name drops Euclid, right? Yeah. So what's really fascinating about that is you look at a circle and it's it's a unique shape in that it 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 is a not not comprised of straight lines but also you have like a tangent line which is any a line that only intersects a shape at one one point you can't there are no tangent lines on on straight on you know another shape because it's going to intersect it at multiple points no matter what but then also there's no there 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 is it's perfectly equal all the way around like there's no the there's no separation between sides or between directions or you know exists on a plane yeah. as a you know even you know i don't i'm sure we can find something who went into the concept of pi but like the the notion of of the the equality of a circle is not something that is even calculable yeah that that it just continues on indefinitely we don't know what the last digit of pi is or if there is one and so of course he's like let's talk about superman you know round and round superman nope wrong category i refuse to contextualize him in terms of a perfect circle Hmm. let's talk about triangles i can i can contextualize my existence and your existence and superman's existence in triangles because yeah also with 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 the Euclid triangle inequality, something interesting about that is the, if you look up the, the converse of the straightest path between two points of the straight line, it's that if you have three sides such that if you add two of them together, it's always going to be more than the third. It's one of those things that is so obvious now that, that it's kind of like, Oh, right. They had to put these rules in. Yeah. But it is. I mean, it, it, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a, it is, it is, it, it, well, I feel like Chris was looking at geometry and saying, ooh, that would be a great line. Right. Well, and this is why, interestingly, go back to that, uh, to the Lolita quote, is that you can count on me to always be telling the truth, but I'll tell it slant because that's how you know it's the truth. And so we're talking triangles, we're talking slants, we're talking contextualizing in triangles instead of with circles because. He says it tells you what's real, but not in the way that you thought it would. Because his whole thing here is to to put people in his box. Like I said, it's wrong category squares. Um, but the what eventually you know breaks Lex or kind of defeats him is the the proof that. And I well, <laughs> don't want to get into this too much either. But the 
his narrative falls apart and he kind of cracks. And in the same way that, you know, it, it does with, with Lolita. But also you see, he says, Oh, you know what? Actually, that's going to be in the next minute. So yep. we'll, we'll talk about triangles more <laughs> next time. That is the line that literally ends but, this yeah. minute. Which is also interesting because that's another minute or another moment in the movie where he says, uh, Euclid's triangle inequality, the straightest, past, the straightest path between two points is a straight line. Inhale. End. And like he, he, it's a punctuated <laughs> inhale right on the minute transition. Yeah. Um, and we're just left here going, good point, Lex. You know, yeah. I guess. Yeah, you're right. The guy knows his Euclidean geometry. Yeah. But I think your point about it seems obvious, but the the need for the whole idea of Euclidean geometry is the, the rules that are so basic that it's like, if a thing has four sides that are all right. equal, then two sides are equal to other two sides. It's like, well, of course they are, but it's necessary because it is a system of logic that defines an irrefutable reality. And I think that it is, it is so cool to come in here where Lex is next level, you know, four dimensional brain planning out this plan. But then at this point he brings it into the, the shortest distance is a straight path. So it's just saying, Hey, you know, I've done all of this. It's, it's cluing us into, um, I had my massive plan put together, but now boy, am I about to be direct? And we don't know how direct, I guess at this point as the minute ends, but, uh, very direct. Yeah. So, well, then also establishing like foundational truths to him that define his truth that he wants to use to, to prove his narrative. And that's what we're seeing kind of the, he's establishing his Euclidean rules as we, as we watch. The entire time you were talking about a circle, I was thinking about Isaac Asimov's foundation. And now you have said foundational. (laughs) And I'm convinced that you were just messing with me. I, I, that was, I was planting a seed oh subliminally, and now I... Wow. Yeah, I guess the hard part for these minutes is going to be is to be not mining everything that we have to talk about in the next next multiple, because so much of it is kind of setting the, the foundation. But I think... So that's probably... We shouldn't get into the geometry anymore <laughs> from just that. just keep saying it, yeah. But uh, uh, I think that, yeah, the Lolita stuff really adds an interesting lens to him. And also, yeah. I think, not necessarily relevant, but also it's Chris Terrio, and this is kind of this whole thing, <laughs> is uh, that Jeremy Irons played, uh, he played Humbert Humbert, right? In the- right, yeah, I, I guess we, did, we should point that out. He did play Humbert Humbert. Yeah. So, uh, I think what he's saying here is that <laughs> Batman's butler is actually, um, I don't know, I don't think, Lex is like breaking the fourth wall here. He's like, you don't understand, you're watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Where I'm referencing a movie, like it's too big for simple minds. That's what's going uh, on. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah. Psycho history is a is a five syllable word that is <laughs> that is too big for. Uh, uh, read the foundation. Yeah. Um, or excuse me, read foundation. That will do it for this minute. I assume you don't have anything else to add. Next minute is going to be. Of, uh, of oh, the pace of it is going to pick up suddenly just so rapidly. But that, with that said, that is minute 113. We will end there and again, uh, ask people to, to share their own thoughts on Lolita and geometry with us on Twitter. What a podcast on Twitter at BVS by the minute. And if you, uh, you can also recommend the show, rate us on your podcast app of choice, go to patreon.com slash Snyder minute to get episodes early and a little extra, extra something, somethings here and there. And, um, as always, 
always continue to listen, first and foremost. You know, I couldn't help but notice that when you talked about the unknowability of a circle, I remembered that the area of a circle is pi r squared, but in BVS, more like p jar squared. He's showing her the chessboard, literally. I mean, yeah. he's like, hey, look, there's the, there's the, uh, the, I don't know what, what, what is Batman? The, the, the knight.